Welcome to the In Search of More podcast. I am your host, Ellie Nash. Join me weekly on my quest for more, more from myself and more from this world. We'll see you on the other side. All right. Welcome, Bensi. Thank you. Thank you, Ellie. It's nice to meet you in person. <laughs> how, did, how did you meet me uh, not in person? Uh, on Facebook. On Facebook was the first. On Facebook. I'm not as active there. No, not, I don't think anybody is anymore. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I mean, I'm not. Is so it? I wouldn't know. But, <laughs> so I know but, his Facebook is out of business. But the, I mean, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, the once in a while that I go on, just the people that I used to see around aren't there anymore. Right. Yeah. There was a lot of activity there uh, during COVID. And... Yeah. 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 Some of it ridiculous. Some of it, some of it probably useful, but okay. funny so let times. Me, let me introduce you a little bit. and Sure. Um, not much I know. We're going to find out. All right. Plenty. So I'm sitting with Bensi Opson, a video producer, born in, born in Hong Kong, raised yep. in the Chabad community, Yep. and uh, somewhat familiar with this uh, podcast. Where I got to know you a little bit is on actually during those days on, on Facebook. Sometimes it would be long, uh, long conversations with uh, strongly held opinions, and some people articulated and formed their opinions thoughtfully, and you impressed me as one of those. So I said, hey, great opportunity for us to sit down and, and chat. Thank you. I appreciate that. So I understand that um, you're you're coming into this uh, space. You're forming a podcast of your own. Yeah. I mean, a few months ago, really, I should say that it's probably been kind of sitting in my head for who knows how long. I mean, they say now that everybody thinks about starting a podcast, <laughs> which is probably the reason why I didn't, because I didn't want to be another guy starting a podcast. <laughs> um, and then... I don't know when it was, probably a few months ago, I I decided, you know, screw it. I'm just going to do it. And, um, you know, the idea came together, a book that I was reading with a name. Everything just kind of came together, and I just needed to find the people. And, and I just started on the journey. I'm not trying to become a podcaster, but what I am trying to do is to add a little bit of thoughtful conversation to to the mix you know um i feel that i feel that it's it's a it's a great it's a great um great place to funnel uh the the thoughts that i'm having myself and not to get frustrated about having nowhere to put it you know when you look around and you see that why isn't anybody talking about this why are people so stubborn why why are there no thoughtful conversations instead of getting angry about it just have them just it right. just have them yeah, the best part of having a podcast is the conversations. Meaning, yeah, it's it's not. I've had many. I'd say pretty much every single podcast that I've had, I the conversations have been useful in their own right, whether or not they mm -hmm. go to get published or watched or anything mm -hmm. else. There's something to be said for having a conversation and knowing that neither you nor I. Are going to be distracted. That doesn't happen that often. Hundred percent. It's it's a, it's actually amazing, and that's something that I already knew from my work interviewing people. Because most of my work in making videos or films is interviewing. I do less the kind of like music video, you know, action comedy stuff, and more thoughtful conversations, mm -hmm. storytelling, and it's always been amazing to me how how 
deep you can get so quickly the second that the other person who very often I meet for the first time when I show up with my camera when they know for a fact that you're paying attention to them because you're you're there to do that and you set up the equipment even though there's all that equipment in their face they 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 open up it's it's amazing all right here we go it's an ad but it's not an ad because I was paid it's an ad as an expression of love and appreciation for someone who did a lot for me and this podcast specifically. I'm talking about Ryan Carter from Scarlet Row. Many of you may know Ryan because he was a familiar face in the early days of the podcast, but much more than being a familiar face, he was kind of the, the juice behind the podcast from the very first day I had the idea. He's the one who pushed it from not just online webinars, but for consistent content, then going from audio to video. Everything you see here was his concept, his idea, and his execution. In addition to this podcast, Ryan has done a ton of work for me and my companies from creative design, photography, brand strategy, brand development, creating video content, creating presentations, photography, and much, much more. So you name it in that space, you want to create content, he's your guy. Even if your idea is just an idea and you don't have it all worked out, bring it to Ryan. He'll help turn that idea into something you can be proud of. Reach out to Ryan at scarletroad.com. It's it's not like I, I really don't believe I have some like super soothing voice or <laughs> super like trusting like, oh, this guy's the most trustworthy person I've met. It's a fact that they know that you're not even that you care, but that you're there and you're listening and available. And in a world where we're also distracted all the time, including myself, of course, I also have a cell phone. It, the, the, the need for conversations is desperate. People are desperate for conversations, both to have them themselves and to hear other people talk. Right. Right. I, it makes me think of, um, you know, like ice baths have become very popular. Yeah. And it's like, oh, suddenly this new thing of ice baths? No, it's not a new thing. It always existed. It was just called a bath. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And now he started heating up water. So every time we interact with water, it's warm. Right. And it's a bath. Right. <laughs> Like right. that. So we needed to create this fake thing, which is really just going back to the original thing yeah. of a cold bath. It's probably, I think you could probably even add to that, that the ice baths were always there, but the need for that kind of, whatever it does for you, the need wasn't as acute. And so, you know, when people, when people feel super stressed out or people feel like they need something to force them to kind of get within themselves and really really get in tune with themselves they need that kind of shocking experience i'm not i'm not a ice ice bath guy but i know a lot of people that are yeah i've gotten into it because of the podcast i mean i've done it a few times and i was very impressed but i needed something in between podcasts right as a way to you know kind of switch gears from one conversation to right. the next and i have no idea how therapists do it by the way because they have incredibly intense conversations right for ten for fifty minutes, then they have a ten minute break, and then someone else coming with it completely mm -hmm. different. So I I don't know what they're using, but one of the tools that I use in between sessions at, when I do these recordings in Miami is ice bath. That was kind of what pushed me over the edge, is saying I need something in between mm. these uh, these conversations. And it's, I mean, the quickest way I know of getting you really present really fast, other than getting punched in the face. Yeah, it centers you. Probably, I mean, probably the way I do it, although it's not available in between, it's it's more like a setup is, is lifting weights. That's something that I've found over the past couple of years. 
something that centers me and really um really really gets me gets me to the spot right i mean besides all the other benefits but you know it just when you have 200 pounds on your shoulders and you have to you have to be very careful what you're doing and very very intentional about every move that you do there's just something about it that brings you back i don't even know what that means i don't know all the psychological meanings of that but it just centers you and and brings you back into yourself and allows you to start again and 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 go out, but not to get lost to come back. Yeah, oftentimes people say I'm stuck in my head, and I think it's part of like part of the expression is accurate, but maybe another way of saying it is I'm out of my body. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh, meaning I guess for most of the day, most of our consciousness that's of self meaning we can have the outside world that's of self is directed towards the mind yeah and you dunk yourself in an ice bath or you lift a couple you know a couple of weights and suddenly your consciousness just can't only be on your thoughts you have to figure out what you're going to do with these couple hundred pounds overhead yeah yeah um there's no question that i was just reading about it the other day actually that you know we're we're torn between the, the the symbols what what this author called the symbols of our of of our world the the things that capture our imagination our con- our consciousness and our bodies that really are located in a very specific place and are much more finite we're tra- we're, we're we're torn between the ability to think about the universe and zoom out and be all over the place and the fact that our bodies can't go there our bodies are stuck right here and there's no question that with modern technology, that's even further exacerbated because you take out your phone and now... You're anywhere you want to be. Yeah, right? And you could talk to whoever you want, but not to the person that's right next to you. <laughs> right? Like, I even remember in Yeshiva, like, looking back, like, I remember when it happened where, like, I came back. I was in Argentina for a couple of years in Yeshiva, and we didn't have cell phones there. Um, we didn't even have, like, we hardly had a, a, a regular phone. I come back to America, and at Fabrengen's now, Bachem are pulling out their phones. Not This was still pre-smartphone time. They weren't looking at anything inappropriate. They weren't scrolling the internet. That wasn't the thing. They would call, like, they, you know, they'd be a little bit tipsy, and now they'd call their friends somewhere else to Fabrengen with him. And everyone's at the table, supposedly with each other, and they're all, like, talking to somebody else. <laughs> it's like, what's going on here? Why is that guy more interesting than the guy right next to you? You know, and that goes that goes to, you know, all kinds of, discussions about it's so much easier to love people in the abstract than to love them in the present and to love people the idea of the of a person as opposed to the actual person <laughs> but there's always that tension of being all over the place or being somewhere else and being right here um and i mean, I, I you know there's always a question of like is it is it a from thing or not a from thing right is it what? this this problem like is there a from is there a, is there is there a, a particular from issue here or is it just a general issue it's it's hard to know be, because at the end of the day, I only know my experience, and I also know that the wor- people in the world talk about this as well. So there's clearly a universal side to it, but I think there's also a particular side to it that I'm more aware of, and that is that when you grow up in a world that is so focused on ideas, and you know, like that, your body is kind of just tagging along to the mind that's learning and davening or conquering the world whatever whatever your thing is right um it becomes very very hard to to manage 
<clears throat> excuse me, the tension between that ambition and your limitations as a person, right? You're 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 chasing the infinite. You're talking about the infinite, but you're a finite guy. You're a finite guy, and it catches up with you at some point. Say more. Say more. I feel like <laughs> say more. Um, how would I say more? Because is it? So let me ask a question in two ways. Are you saying that because um, the Froom community is focused heavily on, you know, the successes that can be accomplished in the mind, which I think might be a Jewish thing, right? Right. Just because we're not as physically gifted as other uh, right. nationalities and cultures, so whatever we skew more towards things that, right? Or are you saying that, and that's detaching us from our body? Or are you saying because of the specific concepts we're learning that are taking us out, meaning this is a Chabad thing, that because of the concepts we're being taught, we're just taking out into different stratospheres and universes, that that removes us even further from it? Meaning, is it the intellectual stimulation or is it the concepts? Well, I think both are true. I think both are true. I mean, the way you articulated it, I think it's irrefutable. I think it's irrefutable. Um, when you have a culture that focuses on academics as opposed to physical activity, you're going to have people that are more in tune with their mind than they are with their body. It's just fact. There's no way to go about that, uh, to go around that. But, I mean, again, going back to my my experience, and I don't think it's like my experience as opposed to everybody else in Yeshiva with me, just the experience that I that I had and probably a lot of Bachram around me, a lot of guys around me had as well. I think Chabad is a particular challenge, and I don't say this is an issue, because there's good to it as well, but it's a particular challenge because we're not just into learning and thinking, we're into learning and thinking about the infinite. We're pals with God. You know, we talk about God on a daily basis, right? right? Like, you know, Atmos is like, like, speed dial, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, it, it's, and I don't, and I, I know I'm coming across as being like, sarcastic, but like, when you talk about these things on a daily basis and you learn about these things on a daily basis, you become f familiarized with them. They become familiar to you. That's the whole point of learning about them on a daily basis. And when you do, you skip over the kind of nitty gritty of, or just the, 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 the nitty gritty of life that, you know, taking out the garbage for example, for as a simple banal example, right? You, 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 you rock it up to here when there's so much to do down here. And it's, so is that just an academic problem or is that just like a, like a, a theoretical problem? No, I don't think so. Because I think even if someone isn't like immersed in Chassidus his whole life, the mindset is one that, that, that makes you, makes you look always there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. 
They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. As opposed to inward. It makes you look outside, up, as opposed to inward. And I think there's a, I think there's a tension there. Now, why am, I, why am I saying that? Because... But there's definitely a confluence of factors, meaning the fact that the world is, uh, is like the way it is right now, that we don't need to do that much physical. For example, 100 years ago, it would be insane to develop a weight room. What would you need a weight room for? Right. Just doing what you needed to do right. to get through the world required you to manipulate heavy objects. Right. So you didn't, you didn't need a weight room any more right, than you needed a, uh, a, something to freeze the, the cold water. Mm-hmm. So meaning that coupled with this a community that's focused on these concepts and focused on academic success, that takes someone completely away from their body. What it dovetails very well from what I see, because I deal with a lot of people who are struggling, right? So mm-hmm. kind of on the... Um, you know, Chase Taub has expression, an addict is like everyone else, only more so. Okay. Right? So it's, it may not be his expression, but he says it often. So I'm seeing kind of the extreme impacts of a certain way of life on maybe the most sensitive people. Right. Like, what does this do in concentration? Mm-hmm. So you take someone who's sensitive and you give them the same recipe that everyone else is getting, and you're going to find out what more of this is going to do for, for everyone else. And there's definitely a continuous theme as it relates to healing that people are struggling with is being completely detached from from their body. And just please do anything that gets you mm-hmm. inside your body and let's stop talking about this thing. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, it makes a lot of sense to me. I think, I think if there was one thing that I expected our conversation to go to, it was, it was, it was, in, it was in this direction. Because I think it dovetails a lot with what you talk about, um, and something that I'm obsessed with, um, and probably what most of my podcast is is occupied with, and that is a question of identity, Chabad identity. In my case, Lubavitch identity in 2023. So your I, podcast is called Homesick for Lubavitch. Homesick for Lubavitch. Which is actually, I must give credit, um, was I put out a video on Facebook going back to, going back to the Facebook era. Um, I put a video there about. It was about my grandfather and about Yachikal in Parksville. You know, for, for, for old-timers in, in Lubavitch or Chabad people, it, it was kind of a throwback, nostalgic piece. And one of the people who commented, I think it was Simcha Gottlieb from Israel, who I, I've never met. No, it wasn't Simcha Gottlieb. It was somebody else. Maybe it was Mayor Rhodes, which uh-huh. I've also never met. One of them wrote, this piece makes me homesick for Lubavitch. <laughs> and that, that comment stuck with me. I didn't even know what it meant. But with time, I was like, okay, that, that, that's what's talking to me. And... I think it goes to this 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 uh, point that we're talking about now, because you know up to now I've been talking about it in a very like ap- theoretical way, which is precisely the problem that we're trying to uh, <laughs> tr- trying to attack here. But like the, the where it manifests is, I think, in a, in the in the question of identity, because people will scoff at the need for identity or the need for an identity that's robust and and makes sense and is something that you can actually believe it or not, identify with, right, on a real, a real level. Like, no, nah, no, nah, it's fine if it's, it's up there, it's, you know, the Rebbe loves you, you love the Rebbe, if that's what it is, or, you, you know, you learn chassidus, you love chassidus, and it doesn't, it never gets brought down into what I call English. It's always, you can always tell when it's in that, in that other realm when it's a lot of Hebrew words, 
people that, if you speak Hebrew, great. But if you're an English speaker and everything else is spoken in English and then suddenly you shift to a different language, I know something is up. So you have this identity. Like has felt in Hasparta, has felt in Havana. Right? right. If you can't explain it, you can't, you're not understanding it. I think it's a little bit different here. I think you're quoting it, something, you're not right. using it in your words. You're, you're all, or, you're, or you're using a different part of your brain. Right, so like there's a famous there's a famous um, story that I, that we heard in yeshiva that there would be a chassid who would tie shema in in Yiddish and he would say like during davening he would say it in lashon kodesh and he would say it in Yiddish and he says this is for the Nash Bahamas like this is my this is for me this is my language naturally kishma yisrael my naturally kish understands that but I understand it in Yiddish mm-hmm. and I'm like how how crazy would it be if in Tehachatim today in America we daven in English. I mean, I, th- I think I may be meandering here, but like... Um, no, you're not. I, okay, great. So in, in Yeshiva, I remember, because it's coming up now in my in my memory, back then, and I was I was fully off the wall Siddish. Like, I was in the deep end, like, beyond. Like, I, I committed all the way um, in my day. Like, I figured if I'm doing it, let me do it all the way. But even then, I remember asking, like, why don't we daven in English? Because whenever I looked at, I understood the davening. I I, I knew Pirshamilis. I I I had a, I was comfortable with the language of you know I was comfortable enough with the translation. But I said whenever I read it in English, it, it's a whole different. It hits me differently, and I, I feel a little bit uncomfortable sometimes. Like the way you're singing these high praises and this fancy old English, and suddenly you realize <laughs> what you're saying. So it's like, did I understand the Hebrew? I understood the Hebrew, but the Hebrew allowed me to kind of, okay, that's my davening brain. That's my chassidish brain. That's my Jewish brain. Yeah, of course. I, I know what I'm thinking about is I have a friend who's um, become more and more religious in the last few years. And he grew up completely, completely, completely secular. And it, maybe the knowledge of the fact that he was Jewish, but zero knowledge of practices and everything else. And he's begun to embrace it in the last four or five years, and he's as sincere and earnest as I've seen anyone around the, um, you know, the acquisition of new knowledge and new information about Judaism and practices. And a few times we spent Shabbos together, and when he does the Eishas um, Chayel, he always reads it to his wife in English. And just how awkward it makes it. Right? How, how crazy Everyone. is it? Right? <laughs> right? I understand what you're saying. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, 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 that's a great example. I mean, just, just to, just to, you know, just to be, it's a little bit of good old Lubavitch cynicism on, on the conversation. Whenever my kids insist on listening to Jewish music in the car, which drives me absolutely berserk, at a certain point, at a certain threshold, I can't handle, especially the more recent music. It just bothers me. So my my revenge on them is I start singing along to the songs, but in English. So, you know, like they'll have the songs like repeat a Pusik and like in this way that makes no sense. And, and, and the Hebrew words don't, if you understand the Hebrew, it doesn't, doesn't match with the music. It's some serious words with like this funky music. Right. So I just sing, start singing along in English and you realize how disconnected, how, how disconnected it is. Understood. Um, yeah. I mean, just, that, that's just me being a party pooper. But I think there is a point there where I do feel that there is a massive split in identity today between where what our identity is how it's defined kind of in i shouldn't say the classroom but defined in 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 lashon kodesh or Yiddish, and how we live it in english and i think i think that split is in my view like the most as far as i can tell the most foundational issue 
right now. I think so many things that that you that that you see or that so many things that people are talking about can be traced back to that. You know, when people talk about um, the the increase in people feeling lost or people in pain or people miserable, whatever it is, how much of that has to do with the fact that people have no reference point? They don't they don't see where they fit in. They don't they don't understand what the context is. They feel the context makes no sense to them. And the parents think it does make sense, but the kids to the kids it doesn't make sense, or the husband thinks it makes sense and the wife doesn't. So we, when you're we, using the the word identity as it relates to to these ideas, is walk me through how that's going to change someone practically, right? Because I've had a very different life journey than you have. We grew up in the same right. um system, maybe even me a little bit more than uh you in some way, right? right. Being in Crown Heights versus um, Hong Kong, but still, both of us steeped in uh, Chabad culture and Chabad ideas and Chabad teachings, mm-hmm. and then obviously our paths took a different different way. So you're attributing some of the pain and discomfort that some people feel to an ish, an, ish, an inability to identify with the concepts. Um, I I think it's deeper than that. I don't think they know what. They're even what they would be identifying with at all, what that identity is. I don't think that identity is solid at all. I think identity is very, very important. Now, of course, identity is sometimes manipulated and sometimes overused and sometimes, you know, made too much of. But at the core, identity is a is a tool that we use to to see where we fit in the world, right? Why I you know, you have on the larger you have in the larger scheme of things, you have there's people as opposed to animals, right? That identify as a human being. Then identify if you're if you're Jewish and you and, and that's an important part of who you are, identify as Jewish, identify as a Jewish male, identify as a as a Lubavitcher. Right, and so, what and so these, forth. You're saying what do these things mean? What do these things even mean, right? right? And as it breaks down, as 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 that identity breaks down, you 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 as an individual you face a larger and larger problem. You face you face a larger and larger challenge of figuring things out because the identity is what was there to to give you a context within which you can operate as an individual. Right. These things have been set up over thousands of years, over hundreds of years, and make sense of the world for you to a large extent. Now you go and figure out your thing. You can you can you can tinker with this, you can tinker with that, you can move in, you can move out, you can find your place, but the room is set up for you. When that room makes no sense to you and it's all chaotic, and and you think it means one thing, and another person thinks it means something else. Then so you're saying we have an identity crisis. Absolutely right. I, I had a conversation with someone that feels somewhat similar. Um, he was talking more about America, mm. and America. Not using these exact words, I think he spoke more about the conversation. Kind of went to a place of us forgetting what our values are. There's kind of this concept of America, and we hear these words, and then these ideas today that are so the antithesis of the values that America was established on and what was... So there we use the words more values, but here you're kind of using identity in the same way. Like, what what does it mean to be an American? What does it mean to be a Lubavitcher? What does it mean to be right. a, a male Lubavitcher? What does it mean to be a Lubavitcher in 2023? Yeah, That's, absolutely. I mean, I think in America, it would probably it, it would make more sense to use the word values because in a sense, like, you don't belong to America. America is a place of values. Right? That That's what makes you an American. But in a community, in a, in a in a Jewish community with actual people, it's not the, the the biggest tragedy would be if it's just values and not something in the flesh, something human, something that people can identify with on a human level, not just 
on an idea level. There are ideas, of course, but there there has to be there has to be a robust identity. There has to be a robust understanding of what that identity is. And I think that identity is shifting. I think it's I think it's fragmenting. I think people are taking it in different directions. And some some people or a lot of people have enough of it, hold on to enough of it, or have enough inner strength outside of it to move along in a healthy way. But like you said earlier, the the people that are suffering, the people Or some are desensitized. Or some people are desensitized, right? Um, yeah, some people perhaps are going, um, you know, just, just kind of robotically. But you know, I think I think some people hold on to enough of it. Some people find something else somewhere else to hold on to. But a lot of the people that you were talking about earlier, who are kind of the expression of where this leads, if you take it all the way to the to the end, those people are left are left with are left with nothing. They're left holding the bag, and in a way, it's not their fault. Right, like, like, what are you supposed to do when you don't even know who you are? Like, you don't, you don't even know, you don't even know what what any of this means. So, like, I, I think I'm, I think I'm speaking a little bit abstract, but like, you know, what does it mean? You ask a question. I even remember a few years ago talking about like starting the podcast. This is probably where the first seed landed, and this was probably seven years ago. And I, and at the moment, I didn't think of starting a podcast, but I I realized that there was a question that needed to be answered. We were sitting at a Shabbos table in our neighborhood, Bally Kinwood, which is right outside Philadelphia. Uh, it wasn't my Shabbos table, it was a French Shabbos table, and there was probably five couples there. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say that you needed a very loose definition of Lubavitch or Chabad to define the couples there as all being Chabad or Lubavitch. It's pretty much, you know, like, pretty obvious that they were all Lubavitch couples, right? Um and maybe it was before maybe it was before a special day, Gimel Thomas. I don't remember why the conversation came up, but I remember being fascinated by it. So the the question came up: What what makes you a Lubavitcher? Like, what is it that makes you a Lubavitcher right. as opposed to not a Lubavitcher? What was the most fast? I don't remember all, every specific answer, and I don't know if any of the specific answers were in its own super fascinating. But what was what was fascinating was that every person gave a different answer. Every person gave a different answer, and all of a sudden you realize, wait a second, like the defining, like a big part of your identity, you're being asked what is the defining feature of that, and every person says something else. I don't know if necessarily that's a problem or a bad thing, but I do know that that means that that something is changing, and something, something, something is something is being lost. A stability that we used to have is being lost. Um, it probably needs to be lost. It probably needs to be regained on on different footing, um, and in that sense, that conversation would have, would be a great first step, right? But one must acknowledge that something is being lost. We can no longer just say I'm a Lubavitcher because uh, I'm a Chassid of the Rebbe. Let's say that wasn't the answer that people were giving. For example, that wasn't the answer. That wasn't enough. Like, what does that mean? I'm a Chassid of the Rebbe. Therefore, what? Like, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a Chassid of the Rebbe? What does that mean? Like. It goes to the oil a certain amount of times a year, but what happens if I go to the oil a few times a year and I'm not religious at all? Like, what does that mean? Like, you have to you, right. when you pull when you pull the strings enough, eventually you're left with nothing, and you have to you have to figure out what does it mean today? What does it mean today? And it must mean something. The idea that we can go 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 on without an identity and that everybody's just going to be macho and figure it out on their own is absolutely bonkers. So if this same conversation was happening in Lubavitch, yeah. let's say. 
five couples and that conversation comes uh comes up what do you think it's what do you think that sounded like i was there what do you mean no that was in you said five years ago if the conversation was happening in Lubavitch 100 years ago, oh, and Lubavitch back, was back robust and healthy, what would it sound like? Meaning I don't have any frame of reference for, right. well, for what that sounds like. Well, I mean, I'm not much of a historian. I know enough to know that our, like, the, the way Lubavitch is portrayed to us is not necessarily Lubavitch that was. But even in, like, the more kind of sentimental view of it, um, I think I think there was a core that everybody was very, very that was very solid, which was, there was a Rebbe, there was a Tenchet, there was a Tenchet Mimim, there was, there was a Tamim, there were certain standards that were demanded of those, of those, of those people, and they lived up to that. And I would imagine that even people that didn't live up to that, or didn't have the opportunity to go to Tenchet Mimim, which, you know, everybody knows that back in the day, most people did not go to Yeshiva, they knew that that's what it was. That's, that was, that was, that was, that was the, that was the core of the identity. And then, you know, people kind of, it got diluted or, or it softened right. on the edges. I think, I think in our case today, um, I think people for up to a few years ago were, were content with saying the core of our identity, especially after Gimel Tamos, is shlichas, shluchim. Those are the, that's Lubavitch at its core. And then around that, you have people that support shluchim, you have people that love shluchim, you have people that don't really love, but you know, you, you start kind of you have that you have that center of gravity and right. you work your way out. That's no longer available. Why? Because I mean, in simply put, because energy has shifted. Like Shlichus, if you look at it objectively, um, Shlichus is no longer the 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 center of Lubavitch, or it's, cer- it's certainly not the only center of Lubavitch. At the very least you can make that statement. Business and and entrepreneurship has certainly gained a status of its own and not just as a uh, supporting role where like we go into business to support Shluchim. No, no, business for the sake of business, business for the sake of making money, business for the sake of maybe give sucker, but for the sake of making money and to live that kind of lifestyle has, 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 has gained its own status. And I think if you were to survey Bochum and Yeshiva, you would find at the very least a massive increase compared to even 10, 15 years ago of Bachrim that when when being honest would say, yeah, when I grow up, I want to be a businessman. I want to be like that big businessman. Not that I want to be that big shliach. I mean, I, I'm not a social scientist. I don't have surveys to back this up. I have anecdotes and I have friends who tell me the same thing. So take it, take it for what it's worth, right? But like, I remember when I was getting married, which was not that long ago, 11 years ago, 11 and a half years ago. Um, so all my friends... Yeah. Saying you want to be a businessman would have been like saying you want to be a bodybuilder. It was verboten. Yeah. I mean, you didn't say it. I had friends who were businessmen. They had internet companies. Some of them were pretty damn successful. And even though they were my friends, I only found out about it after they got married. I mean, they weren't my close friends, but they were friends of mine. Like, But it did not come out until they got married. It was all underground. My brother got married three years after me. And I remember then already recognizing that the, the energy had shifted completely. Like half, half of his friends who were not, quote unquote, outside the system, rebellious, you know, like, like slam the door on the way out kind of people. They were like considered, they were, they were basically the equivalent of the guys that I had been with, like the regular guys. Half of them were already openly in business before they got married. 
and that number has only continued to grow. So that's not an indictment on Schlichus per se. That's not that's not that's not the conversation that you need to have. It's more you have to acknowledge that that there's a that there's a at, at the very least a a parallel center of gravity, and that challenges the idea that what does it mean to be a Lubavitcher? Oh, it means to be a Schlich or support a Schlich, right? There needs to be another definition. Um, that's at the very least. It gets it gets more as you think about it, right? Because even a shliach is that really a, is that really a working workable answer? Is that really is it really that simple, right? Like, I I think fundamentally you you have a question of what does it mean to be a Lubavitcher, a in America, and in deep in America, not like off the boats in America or with parents off the boats, but like third fourth generation Americans. And B, post Gimel Thomas, right? That milieu of the Rebbe being there, surrounded by the the white beards who all couldn't speak English, that milieu is gone. It's gone, and it's not coming back. And and I and I don't mean that in some kind of like you know, um, like aggressive way. You know, like you know, shed your tears. You know, too bad. It's just it's 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 a fact of life, and. Unless we are, unless the idea is to insist to spend the next however many years looking backwards, and which goes totally against human nature, and every instinct that we have is to constantly look backwards as opposed to looking at the very least present, but also forwards. If we don't do that, then what what do we have? Like, what what is the idea? What is, what what does it mean to be a Lubavitcher today in America post Gimel Tammuz? That is fundamentally the question. That do you have an answer for yourself for that of what that means to you? No, absolutely not. I have to be honest with you. That's one of the reasons I started the podcast. It's one of the reasons why I'm obsessed with the question. I'm not. I'm not a. I'm not a an evangelist of my way of thinking. It's. I am. The fact that I have children makes it a very urgent question to me. Which maybe that's just, you know, in a way, kind of silly. Because why is it? Why is it? Why isn't it urgent for myself? Right, Why do exactly. I need my kids? But you know, you know, you know how it works. Like when you have kids, making making a living becomes more urgent, even though you need to support yourself too, right? But something about like I owe it to my kids, whereas me, like you, you can't can, forgive certain things. I can think that I can forgive it. You know, right. I'm not justifying, but like I'm raising my children, and it's like I I really don't know. Like where does this go? On one hand, you know, there was a side of me. Just a few years ago, where I was like, at the very least, for your parents, you're their children. At the very least, for your parents, you're their child. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, no, I'm not saying that I shouldn't care about myself. No, I'm actually, I'm actually, I'm actually (laughs) denigrating that. that, Meaning, if you have to get your value that way by going up and then down. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Yeah. but I hear your point. Well, you could even go the other way. In order to be there for your children, you have to give a damn about yourself, right? (laughs) So, however, you need to get back to being centered a little bit. But whatever the case is. I mean, even a few years ago, I probably would would be, I probably was way more like, yeah, I'm not going to be Lubavitch in 10 years. Not a question of religiosity, but th- this identity, it, it's, it's too, it, it, it's, falling all, all, it's falling apart for me, maybe because that's what I was experiencing, that's all I saw around me. People are saying ridiculous things. You ask, you, you probe in a conversation, they shut it down right away, which is part of our mm-hmm. Facebook experience. You ask one question. And right away they go to your motivation. Like, what what are your motives? Like, what are you what are you what are you attacking? Why are you attacking? And it's like, 
I'm bored and I'm on Facebook. That, that's what I'm doing. But people, it was so fragile that it would, the second you poked anywhere, people got all, so I was like, uh, a few years ago, I would have told you, yeah, I, I, like, I, I don't, I, it's not right to my kids to, to raise them with this kind of identity when it feels like it's not going to be there for them in 20 years or it's going to be something that I can't even predict in 20 years. I've probably come a little bit back where I feel, and I, like, I haven't thought about my own thinking that much to know why and what, but I I am a lot more hopeful these days. Um, I'm a lot more hopeful that there is there is an answer forming out there. I don't think identity is ever something that like you put into a line and like you know a subtitle of a I'm a Lubavitcher one line. This is what and it it's means. And it's done forever. Yeah, um, I think that's part of the the reality, if you must say, of post Kimmeltamos where where you can no longer relegate the question of identity to the Rebbe. Whether or not the Rebbe wanted that question to be relegated to him in the first place, different conversation. I suspect that he didn't. But I know that it did. I know that it was, right? Everybody knows that that's, that, was always, that was always where it was shifted. What's, what's the Rebbe saying? What, you know, if you do what the Rebbe says, then you're, then you're good. That was always, it was always right back to the Rebbe. But when you don't have the Rebbe saying on a on a, on a and a, and a present basis, what to do and what all this means, it's going to shift, and it's going to shift in unpredictable ways. But I right, am. Right, you're saying that even if you're an individual, which you're not, but even if you were one who was holding steadfast to something and you felt a very strong identity, the fact that others aren't necessarily on board with that, you couldn't guarantee anything consistent for your children, that they're walking into. Hey, this is what it is. You can't pass necessarily what you have on, and you can't guarantee that the surroundings is going to be that. So you're basically giving them right. the lack of an identity. Or I was worried that what the people would be certain about was so bonkers, or to me, so foreign and so unpalatable that why would I do that to my kids? Are there examples of what you mean by that? I mean, I, w- I, w- I could give you a- I can give you one example. Okay, so I went to a camp. I was I was filming for a camp somewhere a few a few summers ago, and it, you know the kids looked happy. A great great camp for, for for every other reason besides, and for every even including what I'm about to say. I'm not I'm not saying this as some kind of critique of the camp. I'm just saying what didn't work for me. Um, you know, there was a bunch of girls davening, and the girls that were davening nicely were selected, and they were selected to go daven with the rebbe's minion. And I was like, wait a second, what does that mean? You know, there was a cheer, like this girl made the Rebbe proud. She, you know, the whole camp would clap and then they'd go to the, another tent where they're down with the Rebbe's minion. So I was curious, well, what, does it, what, does that, what does that mean? It turns out that 10 girls were davening with a tape of the Rebbe davening. Now, looking back at it now, talking about it, does it make my skin crawl? No. I mean, at the end of the day, so many things happen in camp, like big deal. But to me, it was more symbolic of like this is we're we are way too attached to to i i I doubt they did that back in the eighties right i doubt I doubt davening with a tape to me is a bit bizarre it's a bit bizarre, and um i i it feels like we're 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 holding on to something stubbornly you know and and refusing to acknowledge that that thing is no longer here and we have to figure out a different way. Um, I just say what you said. I'll tell you you what the feeling brings up for me. So 
uh, when my wife and I got engaged, it was now, I don't know, let's say seven years ago. Um, so we got engaged in Miami and we had an engagement party. And at that point in my life, we weren't, um, there were very little Jewish practices that mm-hmm. we had going on. Um, but several weeks after we did get engaged, we did, we did come to the, um, OHEL and came to New York. We ended up coming to the OHEL. It was meaningful to my parents and to my wife's parents. And we had like a little, uh, get together there. And I didn't notice it at the until afterwards, but there were certain people in my life who weren't comfortable wishing Mazel Tov until that happened. Uh. And it's like, what? So engagements don't count? Like they're an actual thing, <laughs> right? They're an actual thing happens. There's some sort of commitment that right. if it gets broken off, there's a thing that has to right. be undone. Right. right. It's a thing, and right. it's been done for thousands of years. It's a right. an engagement thing. Right. And yes, there's. A practice now that couldn't have started earlier than 1994 right. of visiting the Rebbe's grave site after a couple is engaged. Well, first of all, that wasn't where I was in my life right. at that point, number one. Number two, there was actual thing that happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. An actual, yeah. actual thing. And it couldn't be recognized because of that. And it definitely made me feel similar to what I think you felt when, you know, the davening with the, with the tape. There was just... What I understand what you're saying. I mean, it, I I feel like the example is really lacking because it's just the one that's coming to my head. Maybe it's it's always been like the most available in terms of like it's kind of funny. Um, it but to me it reflects a larger sensibility that 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 I observe. That the more I think about it, I will come up with more anecdotes. But I don't think that's I don't think it's necessary. I think anybody listening to it who is familiar at all will know exactly what I'm talking about. They might agree, they might disagree, but they'll know what I'm talking about. I'll give you, I'll give you you know what I'll give you I'll give you a more poignant example a more painful example okay I used to my business used to be mainly selling programs to shluchim like media programs concerts to shluchim to chabad houses. I was on shluchim myself. You say selling a concert? What does that mean? Well, I f- let me back up for a second. I was myself a shliach until about three four years ago. Uh-huh. That's what that's what I that's what I did when we got married. We were we went on shluchim that time in Philadelphia. I went back to work for my grandfather who was the shliach of Philadelphia. And my job over a year or so became creating like creative programming for the Shluchim in Philadelphia. And so a couple of things that I made were I made a, a multimedia program where I created some videos that told the story about the Rebbe's Nagunim, the Nagunim that the Rebbe taught. And each of those videos introduced a live performance by a string quartet that the local Chabad house would hire. So the local Chabadas had a live concert in their Chabadas. This was shown actually in like about 100 Chabadas around the world. They'd like have this, 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 this string quartet playing this beautiful arrangements of seven Nagunim. And before each of the Nagunim, there was a short video clip telling the story. Oh, cool. And Shulchan licensed that from me. Was it a great business money-wise? No, but it, that was what I was doing. And, and that's, that, that's how I made a little bit of a, a, a parnasa up to pretty much up to COVID. Um, because COVID shut that down, obviously. There was no right. live programs anymore. Uh, and I no longer do that, really. But at the time, I used to market to Shluchim, right? And I remember I once sent out an email before the new year. So uh, we're now 5783. This was probably 5779, maybe 5780 before COVID. And by mistake, I put instead of 5780, I put 5770. A typo. Hi. Ten years earlier. And Ashley writes back to me, I wish we were 10 years 
I wish we were 10 years back in time, like 10 years less uh, away from Gimel Tamas. And that to me was such a painful thing to hear. Like the idea that we, the idea that so much of how we think is of, is not just of orphans, but of orphans that cannot stand up, cannot get up and make a better future and, 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 and run into the future with gusto and, and with, with vision and with, you know, with, op- with hope. You almost, um, does that paint a better picture? Yeah, for you? like a presidential camp, um, a presidential candidate may say today, "Our the our brightest days are ahead of us." Right, right. Which may sound a little bit more right. Make America great again may sound sound a little bit like ah, uh, like you're trying to bring back a time from no. Our best days are are ahead of us. Which maybe the same person has said. Right, right. But the 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 idea that there's some time in the past that we're trying to bring. I understand what you're saying. No, we're right here, right now, and there's this is a time, and there's something into the future that's calling us. It's worse than powerfully. that. It's worse than that. You you're fighting against time. It's not only that you wish you were back in time. You're literally fighting against time. You're angry at time. Right. With every day pre- that passes, it's worse. Do you know how preposterous that is? I mean, <laughs> and it's not. And it's not. Again, I, I I know it can come across like mocking someone. I'm not saying his name, and I'm not saying it in a mocking tone. When I when I say preposterous. I, I cannot imagine the damage that it does to the human psyche. I mean, I can only imagine it as much that it did damage to me, which I experienced. You have, I remember growing up in yeshiva trying to cry about something that I lost that I didn't feel any feelings towards. Isn't like, that like Tisha B'Av? What, what? Isn't that like Tisha B'Av? It's a fair question. It's a fair question. I, I cannot tell you that I massively relate to Tisha B'Av. Um... I, I think I think there's a I think there's also a difference between between having that as context, like having that as part of your context, a part of the context as opposed to being the context, right? If Tishabov becomes your entire way yeah, of life, right. <laughs> you're in a miserable place, man, and you're not going. And, and Judaism doesn't doesn't believe in that either. There's a reason why we specify five days a year. And we fast. We don't fast more than that. Some people fast more on other dates, but as a community, those are the only five days that we fast. There's 360 days, or in the Jewish calendar, 350 days that we don't fast, right? So if, so I mean, if anyway, if no, anything, I understand your point. If yeah. anything, it proves that you're right. The, the other, the other way, um, and I mean, I remember, I remember that being in yeshiva, and but now that I got older and I'm looking a little bit more, maybe from the outside. You know, happily or sadly, however you want to put it, or however you know, however one looks at that 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 reality. Um, when I look at it now, it's it's like what you cannot just say words that attack basic premises of reality and expect that there's no consequences. You cannot be against time, like you. That, that's not that's not a thing. You cannot be against death. You cannot say that's that that. Someone who passed away did not pass away without doing extreme violence to your concept of reality, right? Now, if someone argues, look, they ever said this, this is what I believe, it's not negotiable. I'm not here to argue with them, but you have to at least admit that you've, you've confronted and you've taken on the most basic part of our human reality, right? And you said, like, it doesn't apply here. At that moment, you're 
your attachment to reality, your relationship to reality has been changed forever, right? And 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 this this goes back a lot to what we were talking about earlier, the, the tension between the abstract and the reality, right? You have you have you have a whole community that believes things that are at odds, not just separate, but are at odds with the lived reality, right? And so you could say this is a religious problem, it's a religious discussion. No, no, it's not. It's a very real, real discussion. It's a real problem because people are living their lives. Like the individual is living his life and he is being torn on it. He's being torn between the life that he lives. The, you know, especially we were talking earlier, people going into business and people, a lot of people full of energy and optimism. They're going to make it. They're going to crush it. There, there's full of energy. And then there, there's that on one side and, and over there, they have to deal with reality, right? You can't tell your accountant like right, screw can't. it. I I believe I'm a millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm saying that that a hundred dollars is a million dollars. <laughs> it doesn't work, right? And everybody knows that, right? Right. And, and if you don't, you will deal with the consequences of that. Like this, right? Yes. And so you have a world, part of your world where, on one hand, it's very, very real. On the other hand, there's so much energy. In many ways, because it's real and because you get a feedback loop that's very healthy and very, you know, I, I did well this month, maybe I could do better next month. And and I know that I did good. It's not just in my head. I can see, right? right? So that's on one hand. On the other hand, you have a reality that's literally a, a, a concoction of the mind. Like, what does this basic idea of time or this basic idea of death mean? Well, depends on the day. Forget about if it's right or wrong. It's impossible to live that way. It's impossible to live that way. and. I think I think in many ways that is that is the profoundest tension going on today. And you see this as different than um, other ideas like faith and trust. I mean, there's always similarities, right? There's always simil- there's always tensions in life. I don't I don't advocate and I don't wish on anyone a life without tensions. That's what makes that's what makes life beautiful, and that's how I pay my bills because every story has to have tension, right? <laughs> like mm-hmm. attention is a beautiful thing. That's what makes us human. Right, you don't want to be everything solved and everything's like in a it makes absolute sense. You want to be wrestling with things. I think it gets unhealthy when, at the very least, when you don't acknowledge that things are at odds with each other and you don't realize and you don't recognize that these things are massively at odds. But even more than that, I, I do think that this is different than faith. I, I don't think faith is at odds with reality. But right, you're I, saying that maybe a difference would be. Say someone has this belief, right? For whatever reason, they've arrived at a certain idea that someone right. didn't pass away, you know, or something like that. To arrive at a conclusion that it would make sense to be angry at someone who does think that. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a lot. Well, you could say that about faith too, right? If you believe in... Yeah, I would say the same thing about faith. Right. Meaning right. to arrive at a conclusion that I can believe something with such conviction that's unclear to the point that it would be... It would, it would allow me to get myself angry over someone else not believing this same thing. I, that's pretty. That's right. a lot. Well, that's that that's that's the argument against faith in general. No, it doesn't say. have to be. I'm saying like if 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 people that believe in their God can handle the people that believe in their God, that's that's faith 101, right? Right, but if people can't believe in their God, I'll I'll never remember this. I'll never forget this. You're saying you can't I, understand why they would believe. No, meaning it's it's that leap that it goes into. Faith is faith. Right. Faith is faith. This is what I believe. This is my, my experiences have gotten me to this place for whatever reason. Right. And this is the way I operate my life. But for me to conclude that you not believing it also is justified of my anger 
and sometimes violence, not only with words, but actual violence, meaning what you're saying could actually make someone upset, right? What you're saying right here, some people listen to and say, how could you say that about someone else? How, right? They would yeah. respond with anger, with violence. Uh, they'll just call me some kind of sure, angry guy. That's right. It. So what I'm saying was... So what, I should have said it with a smile. Right. No, but what I'm saying is, actually, who's it? Oscar Wilde who said, um, if you want to tell someone the truth, make sure to make them laugh first. Otherwise, <laughs> they'll kill you. <laughs> fair, fair. So it's not like that. Anyway, but my, my point is this, is that let's say someone arrives at this conclusion for right. whatever reason. They arrive, their life experience, or they find that it's helpful to them in some way, and you know, they've reconciled whatever difference it is to the point that they don't even think it's a difference anymore. Whatever it is. And that's working for them. It's another leap to get angry at someone else who hasn't said the same thing, meaning there's almost no possibility at looking at the situation in any other way right. than the way I've concluded is helpful for me. I'll give you a, a perfect example of this. So I started going to um, 12-step meetings about 10 or 11 years ago. and Remember this guy comes in once, it was his very first meeting, um, and he says, oh, it was, it was his first week of meeting, so he had come a couple of times, and then he says, you know, last night he was watching, I think he said Dr. Phil or one of these other um, TV uh, psychologists, and the concept of sex addiction came up, and whoever it was, Dr. Phil or, you know, Drew, whatever, said, Oh, sex addiction is just a th is 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 made up. It's just a thing guys tell their wives as an excuse for cheating on them. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we're sitting in a room full of people. I mean, at the time I was single. You know, many of the others were in the room, and our lived experience was very different than what mm -hmm. this very well-known therapist said. That many of us had come in here from our own shame from our own behaviors we didn't need anyone on the outside calling us anything to feel like we needed to change however not a single person felt the need to refute this guy mm. afterwards and i found it so i found it so interesting it was so different than what i was used to mm -hmm. here was a guy quoting a very well-known therapist challenging our whole belief system right? right meaning we're all here meeting around what's our common Right. What's our common identity, right? right? Is that we've all struggled with the sexual beast in a way that's forced us to tap out and say, we need help on right. this one, right? We can't wrestle this beer alone. We can't wrestle this beer at all. We just need a different way. So let's, let's come together. And here someone comes and drops a bomb on the whole thing. What you believe is BS. And no one responded. No one felt the need to. It didn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you prove scientifically to me that sex addiction doesn't exist. My lived experience right. brings me to a certain conclusion, and maybe I'm the only one, along with these other 10 yodels, who had this lived experience, and there's no science which is going to get it, and that's fine, meaning there was no need to refute it. And what I was thinking afterwards made a very big impression on me, because I was thinking afterwards is that if someone dropped a bomb on me in a religious setting, that would be the talk of... This would be the talk of the next right. 20. How do we deal with this renegade person who drops this, right. you know, right. um, <laughs> these false ideas onto us that challenge the sanctity? And no, by all means, say whatever you want. It doesn't, it doesn't change who we are. That's I, you know I, what I'm saying. I, I absolutely see where you're coming from. I, 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 I think. I mean, to get angry at that person, that's the leap. 
that's the leap that's hard for me to it's a leap and it probably is i think what you were also pointing to there is that it's also because it's not embodied when you are when when it's something that's embodied and something that you're that you're solid about when it's when it's when it's when it's when it's something that you're I shouldn't say comfortable because religion doesn't have to be comfortable. Faith doesn't doesn't have to. You probably shouldn't be comfortable, but when it's when it's solid, and when it's yours, every Tom, Dick, and Harry that comes and says something to the contrary, who cares? Why you're not going to be so right. fragile? It's precisely because you're kind of living your real robust life, and you're holding this faith in this kind of little glass dish. And you're holding it so delicately because it, you're f- afraid that if anything happens to it, it's going to crash and fall apart. That's what leads, I think, so many times to people getting so, so bothered by any comment, any critique. Uh, and, and I think, I think, I think that's that. That's why. Right. I think that's meaning why. The, meaning the, the sensitivity is a reflection of the belief that someone is fighting for. Not actually being that embodied. That's what you're saying. I, I, I could. I, I don't know that for a fact, but it would make it makes sense. sense. It would make sense to me. And I would say further. This, the story I shared right. supports that. 100%. That's what I took from the story. And I think I think that also goes back to your question a few few minutes earlier, which was, what's the difference between the, the, the challenge I brought up and faith in general? Obviously, there, there's, there's overlap. But I think the problem that I'm more, or the challenge that I'm more, that I think more about is not so much whether or not this belief is bonkers or not, because I think any any belief, so people can one person will say it's makes sense, and one person will tell you it's bonkers, right? It's 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 more, is it solid by you? Is it something that is it something that really sits by you? And what I pointed to earlier was when people are living their life in a very regular American modern way, and I'm not saying not religious, but they're living they're living in 2023, and they most of their day, they would they would the world makes sense to them, and they would make sense to the world, let's say, right? And then when it comes to religious ideas, they 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 veer off or they diverge so drastically that all of a sudden they're talking about things that are at odds with reality, right? These aren't mad scientists who live their whole life at odds with reality. These aren't fanatics that live their whole life at odds with reality. These are people who live a small part of their life at odds with reality. There's no way that that kind of faith, as far as I can tell, can be robust and and, and be, settled, be, settled, be settled within you. Like, I am not the person. I have, I have no, I have no uh, capacity. And as I've gotten older, I've realized this more and more. I have no capacity to say, this is wrong, this is right. This is a right belief. This is a wrong belief because I don't understand it today. Therefore, I can't ever understand it tomorrow. Or because because I can understand it, you can't understand it. I've learned more and more that that's ridiculous. Right? There's a big world out there. There's a lot of smart people, much smarter people, profound people, deep people, etc. Uh, but I think you can still point to a. I think I just say a a a like a like almost like a like just a like a physical a physical like a fact of physics almost where. If you spend most of your day as one person and then shift in specific moments to an entirely different person, you're living a split life. And I would agree with this. This came up in my conversation with Mendy Pellin, where without even thinking, he said he was talking about a psychedelic experience where he felt um, like he interacted with his brother who passed away several years ago. And he said, you know, people listening may think I'm crazy or something. 
I'm like, dude, but all of you is crazy. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, what did you do this morning that you right. feel is so different right. than having a conversation, not like a conversation, a feeling of interacting with your dead brother? Didn't you pray? Right. Don't you, don't you stop working on Shabbos? What are all these things? Aren't you only eating certain kinds of food? Right. Aren't we from a tradition of Jewish mystics who are studying different universes? Right. <laughs> like, why is this suddenly the idea yeah. that feels crazy? And this is what you're saying. There are a lot of ideas that are, that are here. They're memorized. And we believe them, but we have no idea what they mean. Yeah, and I think that's, that, if anything, is the challenge of religious identity. I think, more specifically, that's a challenge of Lubavitch identity. And it's a good challenge. It's, it's a challenge that, that is actually very exciting and probably a one of the reasons why I am personally more, more hopeful and optimistic than I used to be. Because I, I realize that that is the challenge. There's nothing, there, the fact that there's a challenge doesn't mean there's something wrong. It just means that there's a challenge, right? It means that, it means that there's something ahead of you that you have to tackle. Religious life is all about figuring out how to make these higher ideals a lived reality, something that 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 that's part of you. That's the whole. That's the whole. That's the whole thing, right? And is anybody fully successful? I don't know, but that's that's the goal. We, but you cannot, you cannot, you cannot just assume that because you're religious, because I grew up eating kosher, therefore, this is just normal. And then there's other things that are crazy, like and then because then you leave yourself open to the fact that there are parts of your, your religious thought that are crazy. You're supposed to make kosher more meaningful. You're supposed to make Shabbos more meaningful, right? right? And, and meaningful in a way that challenges your concept of reality, that 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 refines your concept of reality. And as you do that, your religious identity of ideas, I mean, the ideas become more part of your real lived identity. You're you're not just a person who follows and believes in things. You're a person who lives those things, right? And right. Will you actually make a financial decision or a life decision based on these ideas? Right? Or, they, right. or are they just going to be stuff we powwow with, with, you know, we kibitz around herring and uh, vodka, but no decision would be made based on things. Like I had a conversation with um, Schneer Hickson, who, you know, we had a couple of conversations on the podcast. I'm not sure if you know. Um, I know from Facebook too. Yeah, but he's he's someone who impressed me tremendously as as living this right. really, like for for what it, whatever it was, whether it's going to the OL and coming to a certain conclusion and watching a video and making a decision based on it and saying, "Hey, this," or writing a letter and making a decision based based on it. And it may be crazy, right. but it's what what's crazier is doing it halfway for sure. Right, for sure. What's crazier is doing so many practices. I have a friend who said. Um, on Shabbos, how he really feels. Um, so, like Shabbos, something about the angels, and or so, and and someone said about him, oh, he's crazy. He thinks there's he th he thinks angels come to him on Shabbos. I'm like, you're literally singing the song. I don't know what to tell you. I'm not sure who's crazier. Well, uh, well that's what I was telling you earlier about davening in English. I mean, it, I mean, I I have a feeling that if you force the yeshiva of very chesedish bachrim to say davening in English, a lot of them would would have a problem davening. It's very weird. And, and it's, it's not because English is a weird language to them. For most of them, English is their mother language. It's because they're finally confronted with what is, what is it that I'm doing? And I'm, I, I, cannot, I cannot compartmentalize it as the religious practice because I'm saying the same language that I kibitz with my friends with. And eventually when you get married, I talk to my wife and I do my business with. Like, right. It's the same language. It's the same me. 
right? So am I comfortable being that guy? And that, like, am I able being the same guy talking the way I talk during the day and talking to God? Like, do I, or do I just use a different part of my brain to talk to God? Okay, I understand the way you say Right? Uh, yeah, you're, okay, what you're calling different, there's like, we compartmentalize a little bit. Well, we, yeah. we, we split ourselves. Oh, it's we, like a split we, personality. We, we split ourselves apart. We split ourselves apart. And this is probably a challenge that most people, probably all people have on some level. Most, all religious people have on some level. I think, I think, I think like we were speaking earlier, I think in Lubavitch we have a particular challenge that we need to face. I don't think it's the end of the world. And I, and actually something you just mentioned is one of the reasons that I'm more hopeful because as I speak to people, I realize that at the end of the day, nobody, nobody likes to fool themselves, right? Lubavitch puts on this, a lot of people in Lubavitch, I should say, put on this persona of being cynical and like, yeah, it's all one big joke, right? Life is one big joke. and Everybody, nobody wants to be behind on their mortgage, for example. But even deeper than that, nobody wants to live a foolish life, a foolish religious experience. Nobody wants to pass it on to their kids. Push comes to shove, people are real. Push comes to shove, the persona that they project is very often at odds with who they are. When you speak to them and you realize most people want what's best for their loved ones. They want what's best for themselves. They don't want to mess around. A lot of the reason that there's all this cynicism is because they don't have they don't have another option or they feel like they don't have another option or they feel that they don't need another option. They think it's all good. But the problem with cynicism is that reality confronts it, right? You can make fun of money until you need to pay your mortgage, right? You can make fun of being attentive to your family until until they get right. mad at you. <laughs> you can be cynical about certain behaviors that you have, whether it's about health or about what you read and digest until you realize that it's it's making a mess of you, right? At some point, reality is going to hit you in the face. And most people are not really that cynical. I say that they're cynical, they're, they're, they're cynical cynics. Like their cynicism is itself cynical. It's like it's like opportunistic. Well, when it's easy to be cynical, we're cynical. But when when it when it gets real, people realize that no no, no we we got to be, we 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 got to get real. So what about is that? This. That's something that I certainly noticed. And again, I'm I'm much further removed, um, from, you know every you know from the everyday stuff in, uh, Lubav and Chabad. But I'm fairly connected to it, obviously. But there does seem to be a lot of comfort just in the parlance and the way we speak, just to use cynicism as a go-to retort or a go-to way of processing things. Yeah. What do you... Well, I, I think, I, th I mean, I, I, think, I think it comes from the fact that when you basically go, at, you go to war against reality, um, the, you know, the person who's, the person who's, who's at the level to do that they're they're pure. They're, they're they're you know at the ultimate it's a rebbe. You know maybe some some very devout chassidim, like you know the the famous chassid Elan Movade on his bank statement. These kind of people who were at at a level, they were at war with reality. Most people mimicking that, you cannot be at war with reality. So instead, you just dismiss reality, right? You dismiss it, especially when you're a bacher and yeshiva. What's reality? You literally don't have to do anything. <laughs> you literally right. your bills are paid for. What are the consequences? You're living a consequence-free life, right? Mostly speak, for, for the most part, certainly compared to how it will be later on in life. And so you basically take the idealistic, the idealistic um, worldview that, you're, that you hear and learn in Chassidus, that 
is in fact in a very real non-cynical way at war with reality or, or trying to transform reality and you take just the you take just the the kind of the the affect of it right you take the affect of it. It's like there's a there's an expression in I think like an old Yiddish expression like a halfway going. Someone's like a half a genius. Right. Which half? The half that's a slob, not the half that actually is a genius. Right? <laughs> the half like you know a lot of artists use that excuse as well. Like why is he late to a meeting? Because he's an artist. Yeah, but is he really an artist? <laughs> like, like like does he live his life that like does he does he not pay his bills? Like or does he just not show up to meetings on time? <laughs> right. right? It's like no, is he painting beautiful paintings uh, just not showing up on time? Well, right. even if your painting is beautiful, if the guy treats himself normally, not like, you know, some artist who's totally all over he's not he's not Van Gogh who was a taka mental person, right? Um he's a regular person. You can't use that excuse when it's convenient, right? It's you're just using the affect to get to get by. And I think I think the same thing happens with with uh, sometimes when you live in a very idealistic world where the person setting the tone is is a, is living the life of a tzaddik is is talking a language of a tzaddik and expecting that from you. It's very it's it, it's 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 almost impossible to live but up are, to that. Or are you maybe doing the same thing? And well, I'll tell you. And yeah. I'll tell you how. Is that maybe this is a struggle that we've always struggled with? Meaning it's not now. Like you're, you might be doing the same thing where you're saying there was a time, if you go back to Lubavitch, that in that place they didn't struggle with these identity things. I, I feel like this is the struggle of life, right? We, we have these disparate parts of our personality, and um, I'm one way when I'm in the office negotiating business, and I am until this day. I'm another way on a podcast. Sure. I'm another way with my kids. I'm another way with my wife. Um, I'm different with my wife at you know different times as I am with. Everyone, and then saying, okay, how can we kind of integrate our personality more so that we show up as who we are, wherever we are? Obviously, there's different situations call for different parts of our personality, but there are times where you're, it's almost unrecognizable. The, yeah. the person we meet here is completely different than the person we meet there. And then as I think as we become healthier human beings and as we start connecting these parts of ourselves, um, we start taking our decisions from in one area of our life and saying, okay, could I truly do this in, in business? Do I really believe what I say? Can I really take two days a month like I do now and devote it to a podcast? For a long time, I couldn't. I can talk about you know, recovery and healing and everything else. I can talk about trust and faith, but can I actually say, hey, if I feel like this is meaningful, and as of today, my work life affords me the possibility of doing this. Will I turn everything off for eight, 10 hours twice a month while I have these conversations because I feel like it brings something good? That's not a unique challenge to 2023. There may be aspects of it that are somewhat new, but I think this was life was always life. It was always hard to live life on life's terms. There's no question that, that it used to, that it used, that, that it's always, there's always been some, some um some element of this and i mean for the the obvious proof is that i didn't come up with these ideas on my own right it's not like i thought of this all on my own so i've been reading other people who've been talking about it <laughs> right right? It's it's a, right this isn't like a new thing i think i think what makes the challenge unique to today and that doesn't mean that it's over or a reason to be despondent but i think the challenge is that for 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 whatever reason for a while we stopped thinking about it. 
I, I don't know that in Lubavitch 100 years ago, they didn't think about it. I think I agree with you that they did think about it. I am, a, I am more and more convinced that for a few decades, probably between the 60s and the 90s, something like that, gradually people forgot about it. And people became more and more swallowed up in, in the, the Rebbe's army, which by definition obliterates the individual. Not in, a, not in a mean way, but just by definition, you become part of such a big, fast-moving, powerful mass of people that you feel you don't even need an identity. A soldier has, there's no room for a soldier's identity, right? There's no room for it. You, you, you're part of the army. We throw you at battle and, 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 and it's all about numbers. Right. Right. Um, I, so I, I do feel that for whatever reason, there was a, 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 a stopping of thinking about identity and it's time to start thinking about it again. Right. All right. And this I can, this I can grasp is that what you, what you want to do. And it sounds like what your, like your, your message is like, start wrestling again. These are not, when you're watching someone who's sitting there at peace, it's not because he doesn't care about the world. It's because he went through the work of, transcending the world right transcending those worries right he didn't go there from not caring about it because of cynicism right that's what you're there's no shortcuts there's no shortcuts you know we, we want to live the Rebbe demanded you know if, if you on any level of Lubavitch identity there is a voice a demand from the Rebbe to do to do a lot and in many ways to do the impossible and anything anything shorter than possible is deemed a failure right all all you didn't believe that Mashiach should come and will come, and they, what they do contributes to that. I don't know how many people feel that if Mashiach doesn't come in their lifetime, they've personally failed. That's the message that I've left, right? And, and that's just one thing that comes to mind right away. But on every level, they're demanded a lot. And no matter how devout or less devout you are, if you're at all within the orbit of Lubavitch, that's a voice. That's the most dominant voice in terms of what shapes how we think, right? And you cannot just say, well, the Rebbe said it, therefore that's who I am. There was demanding a, trans a, a, a transformation, a, tra a transformed life. There's no shortcuts to that. There's no shortcuts to that. And, and there will be people who will make that their life mission, and they, those people are never cynical. The people that I met that were real chassidim, or at least that I felt they were real chassidim, I never felt cynicism from them, because life, life was life was a real was a real thing. It was a struggle. Right. They did the work to arrive at that destination. Yeah. Or they, or they felt that they were short of it, but 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 there was no there was no reason to make to make light of it. It's 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 the it's the feeling that basically yeah we're not going to get there, so let's just kind of you know let's just kind of make believe like we're there. That kind of affect, that kind of shortcut. I don't think works for people. And I could tell you, I, you know, I've spoken to, on my podcast, I've spoken to six people now, but I, I, I could tell you I've spoken to dozens more people, whether while I'm filming or just, you know, I like talking to people. And I get the sense that people really, really are feeling this on some level. People really are feeling that they can no longer just go with that, with, with mantras and, and slogans and, and, you know, the Rebbe said, so therefore, like, just automatically, people feel that they need to live up to something. They need to figure out where they, where they fit in, how it fits into their life, how they identify with it. 
Uh, and I think people are beginning to talk about it, beginning to do, figure it out. Do you have, um, is there something on your end that you see pointing to that? Meaning what's, what's changing for people that that's happening? I, I th that's what I was saying earlier. I think people, people at the end of the day don't want to be miserable. People at the end of the day know when they are miserable. And so it's easy to, it's easy to, let's say, I'll give you a, give you a simple example. Okay. I, uh, about a couple years ago, I started getting very into lifting weights and I didn't post anything about it right away because I was doing it for myself. I didn't want to, I wouldn't want to be stuck in a loop where I'm doing it for other people right. for the likes or for the views. You know what I mean? But after about a year, like almost on a whim, I, I would record it for my trainer or my coach to look at it and check the form or whatever, or for myself to review the form. But after a while on a whim, I'm like, you know what? Let me just post it. And I could tell you like the amount of people that reached out. To, I just posted on my Instagram, on my WhatsApp. I'm not a big, I don't yeah. like I have thousands of followers. It's just my friends essentially who I hang out with anyway online. You know, they have, they see it if they, if they choose to click on it. The amount of people who reach out to me telling me like, how can I do that? Um, amazing. You inspired me to do it or I wish I could do it. You know, people are desperate to fix their lives. Like so, like when you're 25 years old, and your body puts up with puts up with you treating it like like a like a rag, and you see somebody working out, you're like, yeah, yeah, that 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 crazy person or that that loser who's in the gym all the time, you know, whatever. Like, what do you need, what do you need right. muscles for? You're a bodybuilder, you're Schwarzenegger. You're like, you right. know, you talk about Lubavitch cynicism, like that kind of like you know, that that moron thinks that he's going to be a Schwarzenegger, right? right. That, that's something you could totally hear. At the right. Lachaim, where a guy walks in, you know, from the gym, and everybody's like, uh, "Here comes Schwarzenegger," right? But when you're 35 years old and your body's falling apart, okay, or you're gaining a ton of weight and your body's falling apart, and you feel miserable, and you see a guy who's your friend, who you remember him in yeshiva, he wasn't very physically active, he wasn't strong, he's he's going after it, and he seems to be loving it and getting stronger. You're like, wait a second, that's how I want to feel. I'm not trying to make a promo about my lifting, obviously, but it's more like it's a, it's a, it's a, and what I do is nothing special, but it's just an, it's a revealing anecdote that it's, it's, you, cynicism works or, or you feel like it Into works reality. When, when there's no cost, but eventually, eventually people, it catches up with people. So to, to answer the larger question, it's, what is it now? It's, it's, it's almost 30 years after Gimel Thomas, right? It's almost 30 years after Gamal Thomas. We just, it was just 29 years. Okay. A lot of people that are having children now were born after Gamal Thomas. Right. There, there are a lot of, there, a lot of guys my age, your age, I think we're about the same age. 38. 35. Okay. Yeah. So a lot of people our age who were children when they were passed away or certainly not developed, you mm -hmm. know, pre-bar mitzvah, et cetera. Raising children, uh, raising children today. The the mantras and the and the the sayings that were available to people raising us or raising children 10, 15 years ago, they no longer work. Right? And people people eventually realize that, eventually pick up on that, because nobody wants to ruin their child. Very few people want to ruin their child. Very few people say, Oh, here's my child, I love him, I love her. Let me let me teach him something that is bonkers. Nope, nobody really thinks that. Very few people think that, right? Even if you think it's bonkers, they don't think that, right? Most people want what's best for their child. And so I think more and more people are realizing that we cannot just give our kids 
um, you know, what's the word? Um, when you take something, a quote, you, so regurgitated, uh, regurgitated, or even uh, recycled, just like, yeah, that's what they told me, so that's what I'm telling you. Right. Like people, I think people are waking up to it. They're they're feeling it in their bones. They're feeling that they they need to take care of themselves. They're feeling like they they cannot overlook themselves anymore. Oh, who cares about my body? My body is. I've never worked out. Oh, it turns out, it turns out my friend of mine who happens to, you know, know the family of the people that would take care of the Rebbe's house, the Rebbe had a, had a, had a, um, a treadmill in his house or something that the Rebbe would make sure that he walked on. Like, the, the way that explodes the Lubavitcher's mind about, like, how little <laughs> they have to give a damn about their body is like, wait a second, even he needed to take <laughs> care of his body, right? Um, but that's just an anecdote. You, you don't even, you shouldn't need that example. Because right. you're not, again, if you live, I, mean, I can't imagine him overeating. It just doesn't. If you live the Rebbe's life the rest of the day, and then you want to copy him about not working out, go for it, man. Right? right. But you cannot choose these these things where where they have real consequences. And right. He like, may not have slept too much either. Right. Which... Right. Example. You know. So like like I don't think anybody would argue that the Rebbe lived a healthy physical life. Right. Nobody. He was robust until his nineties. Yeah. Right. But he somehow managed it. Right. But you cannot have it both ways. He was, he was, he cannot be a, a, a person of towering stature and also a model to copy on a day to day basis. You have to, you have to get real about yourself. You cannot, you cannot shift every question about who you are and what the reasons you do something to, well, that's what the Rebbe said, that's what the Rebbe, that's what the Rebbe did. If you're not up to it, and most people are not up to it, most people are not up to that level, you have to get real. You have to get real, and I think people are getting real. Right. I, I just want to be clear: I don't have like a, I don't have like a um, mission. I'm not like trying to. Uh, I'm not like, in a way, in a way, I've, for at least for now, I, I, I feel like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm too tentative or I'm too unsure about where I want to go to like have like people have to do this, people have to do that. This has to happen. That has to happen. I'm not up to that part of my life yet, but what I, what I am like, trying to add is thoughtful conversation with 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 both in the work that I do as well as a, on this podcast that I'm making I think I think that's I think that's the only way through I think it's the only way through I think as people have conversations in their native tongue and and really begin to question but not in like a uh, like like an antagonistic way why do you believe in this why do you believe in that but really begin to think about why they do what they do and what drives them and what motivates them and what they do identify with, what they don't identify with. I think, I think, I think that's the way through. And I'm very, I'm very hopeful that it, that, that it, that it, that it gets us to a better place. Yeah. I think it makes a lot of sense to me. You know, I'm thinking of, um, I remember there was this, uh, book, um, by Nathan Lewis Cardoza. I forgot what his, it was, uh, like a different Dvartar on, on, every Shabbos. Mm -hmm. And when I was in Montreal and Yeshiva, it was common to go to people's homes and they would ask us to say a Dvartara. And everyone would say a Rebbe Sicha. And I'm like, okay, I'm also going to say it. Right. I said, we've all heard it. We all know the, uh, right. the talks. So I said this, um, I repeated something that I learned from, um, in this that I read in this book by Nathan Lewis Cardoza. It said, um, I forget which Parsha was on, but it was a Parsha when, um, Maisha buried buried the, the the Egyptian in the ground. So I would say it, it didn't matter which Shabbos was. I would, you know, this is the one I would say. Anyway, I would say, you know, it says that 
Um, every shot, like you have to live with the times, right? But every single lesson for us is one that we have to take for the full year. So everyone's going to talk about this. I don't, don't want to forget about a lesson that uh, I learned on Parsha's play, whatever it was, right? So, so that was already you being a businessman and learning, arbi <laughs> learning arbitrage, right? right. So, what I, so the story was like this, was that it says, maybe you can help me with the Hebrew words, but in the English was that Moshe saw an Egyptian and a Jew fighting. I said, and something like he turned to the right and he turned to the left. He looked this way and that right, way. Right. And he saw that there was no man and he buried the Egyptian in the ground. Right. So Nathan Lewis Cadoza explained it as follows. He says, and after this, we find out that Moses became, right, Moshe became the leader of the Jewish people. So he says, what was this? What was going on? He says, when he saw an Egyptian and a Jew fighting, he said, whose side should I take? Because he grew up as an, he grew up in the home of power, right? He grew up as an Egyptian, but he was told, he was also informed about his Jewish identity. So when there's a fight, whose side am I on? So when he looked, he looked, he wasn't looking around and saying, is there, an, is there anyone around? He was looking internally. He's looked to one side and he looked to the other side. He looked to his Jewish side and he looked to his Egyptian side and he realized there was no man. And his only it. choice was to bury the Egyptian in the ground. And that's when he became a leader of the Jewish people. Love it. I love it. I love it. Okay, that's it drove people crazy when I said this to the point of... Can, can, can I just say that yeah. I love it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Massive arguments in the yeshiva about this talk. That wait, I wait, gave. they were upset that you quoted something that wasn't no. that wasn't the Rebbe's? No. No. It drove them crazy that I suggested that Moshe had an identity crisis. Yeah. Because yeah. the Rebbe is a Moshe that's a generation. Would I ever say about the, the Rebbe that the Rebbe had an identity crisis? And I think he did. Right. I, what I, was going on between I, 1950 I, for, and 1951? For God's sake, the Rebbe said he had an identity crisis. Right, between 1950 and 1951. Was it a charade? No, the Rebbe, the Rebbe said that after even that he was Rebbe, he said, like, I, I, don't, I, I don't like to come downstairs. I, 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 he said all kinds of expressions. I'm an introvert. I'm an intro it's hard for me to come to Fabring. And, like, this is, I have to push myself every time. Right, I think he had identity. Did he want to sit in a room and learn all day, or and interact with people, right. whatever, in, right. in a more yeah. do solitary? Want, do I want life? to be a private man, or do or, I want to be a leader? Exactly, right, exactly. And, and, I, was, and I wasn't born into a family of rebbes. I wasn't trained to be one. I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't brought up as one my whole life, like my father-in-law and his father, and so on. Like I didn't grow up in base base harav, so that wasn't my. You know, that's not who I was meant to be. Let me just stay who I am. And there's no question that there was a. But yeah, I mean, I love these stories. When we, you tell we, we, me, we that both we both get. Into, I mean, I don't know if you care. I don't think I care. You get into trouble, and I don't know if anybody else would be listening to this part of the podcast. But people get, yeah, people get upset about even having that brief, brief conversation about the Rebbe's, about the about about the, thinking about the Rebbe on a human level. Look, I find I, that appealing. I find that something to admire. I agree. With what you. use is there? What use is there? What can I learn from someone who didn't have any sort of struggles? Were they different? I'm sure they were different. Of course, he achieved a, a, a stature and a level that few have. But no struggle. Then what was the point? And well, what I, can I learn? Well, I think that's why. That's why. So Lubavitch, for whatever reason, or so many Lubavitches that I know, I can't speak about Lubavitch as a whole. I'm realizing, like, what do I? I know only my small sliver of people. But from what I, from the people that I know. I feel like one of the reasons that identity is not is not such a big thing is it starts from the top. We've kind of de-identified the Rebbe. We've like dehumanized the Rebbe. The Rebbe, right. the Rebbe. the Rebbe is like robbed of a of an identity. He's robbed of a story. It's all mythologized. Like it, it, 
it starts from the Rebbe being, you know, three years old with the kids in the in the in the shelter. And he climbs up the tree. So I don't know which story came first. Okay. So there's a tree, and then there's one where the kids there's a pogrom, and he gives the kids oh, right. candies quiet, and they climb yeah. up the tree. And these, these are these these stories may have happened, but ultimately it's mythology. And and look, maybe some people will argue that a Rebbe needs to be mythologized. You know, I, I don't know why only this Rebbe needs to be mythologized, not the Fidik Rebbe and the Rebbe Shab, who have stories of like their fathers who were also Rebbeim telling them what you did was wrong. And, and we, you know, you should have told your friend this one. Like, they, they were kids who made mistakes. I don't know why our Rebbe needs to be, or this Rebbe needs to be mythologized all of a sudden. I don't know why that has to happen. But one could argue that, yeah, you need to mytho- the Rebbe needs to be mythologized. It needs to be. What would know, be the argument? Well, I think the argument would be that that people today look. You're saying to steel man the argument. I think the steel man the argument would be the Rebbe passed away a long time ago. It's hard enough. It's hard enough in this modern world to hold on to the Rebbe's message and 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 and, and be the Rebbe's chassid. Don't let any cracks, right? Don't don't allow any cracks. Don't allow any nuance. Make it black and white. Make it make it make it waterproof to a hundred meters or whatever it is, and give people a, a a a a solid mythology around which they can have their lives revolve. I was I think that would be the argument, like right. from a practical level, from a religious level. Maybe the argument would be that a tzaddik is 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 off limits. Like what one tzaddik says about another tzaddik, fine, but I don't talk about a tzaddik that way. Like you have to have like a certain respect. There's some things that you would not say about your parents, even if you believe them to be true, right? Both out of respect and both out of there's a certain there's a certain space that you don't go to with your parents, right? There's a certain space that you shouldn't go to with your parents because at that point you've destroyed what's sacred, right? In, in that relationship. And there should be something sacred. Um And what would be your response to that? First of all, I don't know that I have a response. I mean, I, I'm not my 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 position is not that everything that I do is right. <laughs> like, it's not like everything that I do, I've decided that it must be the right thing to do, or that I believe that everything is 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 motivated by by doing the right thing. But my response to that would be my response is that at the very least, acknowledge the cost that that inflicts. Acknowledge the cost that you have a rebbe who people can identify with as a person. Also notice how how it changed over the years the 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 chassidim of my grandparents generation they had to ever come to be by them they i i even heard one of them one of the people that age you know i like i told you i used to be i used to be in the world of shlichas and i was at a meeting of shluchim and people were sitting around and talking about a story that happened in the 80s the story the, the meeting happened in the in the 2000, late 2010s, but they were talking about a story that happened in the 80s. And you know, the, the, the Rebbe, did, did it happen? Did the Rebbe actually say it? Did he not say it? In walks in my grandfather, who who's a chassid from, you know, he was he was in 770 as a bacher in the 50s. And they asked him, like, did the story happen or not? And he, he kind of made nothing, like, I don't know, like, what's a, like, what's the difference if it happened or not? And then he made this comment, which stuck with me. He's like, in our days, we didn't speak about the Rebbe, we spoke to the Rebbe. Yeah. And like to me, that encapsulates. I don't, think that, I don't think he was trying to make a whole point out of it, but to me, I was like, 
that's a switch between a human being that they were talking to, an exalted human being. They had unbelievable respect. respect and like probably more. I don't know. In some ways, the willingness to follow, the willingness to. Uh, actually, I, 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 I don't okay, know. It's not like it's not. It's not like like I. I don't want the point to be to put down the other side. It's right. more like they had a tremendous amount of respect for the Rebbe. At the very least, let's say equal, right? To to what happened later, these people really respected the Rebbe, they, and like you said, they 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 went out on shlichus. A lot of them, when there was no concept of what where that was going to lead, they went out on a on a on a on a prayer and a blessing and a few like a hundred dollars or something like that was it. Right. right, there was no model for it. There then. was no model and there was no promise, and the whole thing felt patently insane to anybody else. Um, and but they still saw the Rebbe as a person. They, they, they saw there was a person. There was a person. There was a person who, also there was a person who was very, in many ways, very open. Like, you know, people talk today about being open and vulnerable, whatever. I mean, there was spoke at Fabringen. He would, he would bear his heart. He would cry. He cried at his first Fabringen, right? He, he cried. He, he, what did he say the first Fabringen? We're here. I, we don't want to be here, but we're here and we have to do something about it. And, and like, those are moments that, that like, you know, those those are in so many ways. Those are the iconic moments of the Rebbe's life. But those aren't the moments that we talk about in Yeshiva, right? And so it went from it went from being the 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 very human Rebbe to being this mythologized Rebbe. Um, and there's a at the very least there's a cost to it. Even if you believe that that it has to be that way, there's a cost to it, because people then don't have a a a a a real in the flesh model of how to of how to live, right? Or or how or who to look. They don't have a Rebbe who's who's real to them. They have a Rebbe who's a myth to them. There's a big difference. That's number one. You know what I think would be a solution? What's that? Um is not kicking kids out of school. <laughs> I'm serious. Could be. I'll tell you why. Because a lot of what happens, a lot of there's you have a a a, a body of people for whatever reason can't tolerate this. Right. right. So they act up in different ways. Some act in, some act out, right? So some have personalities that can question everything, but for whatever reason, they're still tolerated by the yeshiva system. And some, for whatever, too much of an oddball, and they kick them out. Right. But working to make these ideas more palatable to the people who grew up in it would force us to wrestle with it. Uh, in a I very healthy way. I see what you're saying. What I, happens? It, it felt so right field when you said, it. "I'm like, what are you, where are you even going with it?" But okay, now I see. No, what what, hap- what happens is it's it's this crazy concept. It doesn't make any sense. You have a child who's born. I mean, like nothing. One day old, into a world with right surrounded. It was curated and preserved, and exactly what you wanted to do. From I was walking down Kingston Avenue today, and I'm like, "Wow, that's so different than my life." I call them the doctor is here, the barber is here, the everyone is within three blocks and right. everyone is is religious. You've created a world, curated a world that's yours. Right. Down to the music that's played, right, and the food that's served, and everything is is right here. And somehow at 13, 14 years old, some kid is rebelling. Right? He's purging out what you've fed him. And then we blame it on him. Like he did something wrong. How is it possible? In 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 which other world would we have thousands of adults working on something, one kid working on, let's say hundreds of adults, all say, okay, we're coming together in order to mold this person, this whatever it is, 
into a, in a certain direction or create a business in a certain whatever it is okay that everyone's working on and some 13 year old prancing around in a different you know in a different way oh it's his fault he did something wrong no of course you did something wrong i mean how can you created everything from day 1 and right. something about it was not palatable and what did you do you said okay let me cut the cancer out right instead of saying what is it what what is it that this guy's rebelling against why is he willing to throw out all of his friends all of his life all of his community everything he knows what is so unpalatable about what's being delivered up and if we can work through that wrestle with that i think there's a lot um a lot to be learned 100 percent. I, I now that you now that you explain it i get 100 percent um I think I think the the only difference I would I would say is like we were talking about earlier like do you, do you do something for your kids or do you do it for yourself? Like I think I think if if we were more solid in our identity for ourselves, we would be a lot more confident and comfortable in how we educate the children, right? And I, then and and then that would be worked out. Meaning that's exactly what yeah. I'm saying. What I'm saying is that this this conversation can stay right here. Yeah. And say, okay, what practically can change? You want something practically to change? Oh, yes, yes. What would be the well, practical? Practi the practical move is that if a kid does not want to be kicked out of school, do not kick him out of school. Figure out how to make it work. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm sometimes a little bit too comfortable with leaving the practical just to like ideas or talking. I don't want it to be just ideas. I, I do believe that I I'm not disagreeing with you. Um, I just don't know that like if you started from there not kicking kids out of school without addressing the underlying problem. It's going to force it, you to address it. The okay. same, it's the same thing that happens. But they're in, not going they're not they're they're not going to go for it. Okay, a, but it, I, it's the same thing that happens in many families. Right. That's in many true. families you have a um what do you call the black sheep. Right. Okay, who goes off the families which work to say okay, this is a part of us. Right. Right? If you had five kids, okay, and one of them is going in a certain direction, whatever that is, whether it's not religious or something else, that is an expression of you in the world. Right. This is your creation between you and your, whatever it is, me and my wife, you and your wife, right? We've created something, and this is the expression of 100%. you in the world. And then we say, this is not us. Cut it out. What do you think that's done to the rest of the family? Versus the same thing, figuring out what what is it? What is it about us that now this thing, whatever they're struggling with, whether it's depression, whether it's... um whether it's suicidal ideation, whether it's not wanting to live the life, rejecting, rebelling, any of those things, bringing them back in in some way and saying, what do you have to teach us? I see it all the time. No, with, I, I, uh, I don't. I, 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 I agree with that. I agree with that. There's a family I can think of. They have several children. Um, let's call it six for the purpose of this. Five are one way. Right. One, also from religious, the whole getup and everything else, but just unhappy. So, you know, they they reach out to me because the, one of the parents listens to podcasts and says, maybe you can help me with uh, my kid. He's depressed. He's unhappy. He struggled with, I think, pornography or, you know, okay, maybe that's that's the issue. When I spoke to the parents, I spoke to him, it was so freaking obvious. This kid was railing against an infection that he felt deep in his core that existed in the family. For whatever reason the other five didn't manifest the infection in a way that irritated the parents. Right. This one did. Right. And they were so hell-bent on moving him out of, um, moving, moving him out of his life, move, like just either conform or, or out. Right. And at one point I shared with um, one of the parents a letter that uh, I saw of the Rebbe where it said, it's clear it was in response to something serious that parents were talking about 
And like the Rebbe's language at the beginning was really strong. Like in order to prevent the tragedy, I'm recommending the following. And he spoke about different modalities of healing. And sometimes you can heal something directly. You can heal things around it. And he said, so sometimes instead of treating something directly, the organ that's failing directly, you can treat the organs around it, make it healthier. A family is an organism. Mm. So how much more so to treat and heal the parts of the body that are most um, instrumental to the well-being of it, like the mind and the heart, and comparing it to the bala bias and the karasa bias, and you know, finishing with pretty strong message, you want to heal your kid, heal the parents. Mm-hmm. And I, I think in many cases, we have a lot to learn from those that we've pushed to the side and said, they're not, they're not one of us. Yeah, 100%. I've been allowed in a little bit. You've been allowed in? I've been allowed in a little bit. Oh, you're saying to see what's going on? No, no, meaning I've been allowed in, like my voice hasn't been shut up completely. Right. Right. But it's only because of something you alluded to at the beginning of the conversation. Which is? There's a businessman track. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah right, that exists, that that voice can be heard. I, yeah, I, I, there's for sure But there are a lot of, of voices. There are a lot of voices who need to be heard more. And within families, within the community. Right. Of, of kids who've been relegated to the side, who are desperate for belonging, who are often the most sensitive souls, who have a lot or strong message to say. They don't know what the message is. They don't. You have to strip away a lot of stuff to get to what the core of their message is. But essentially, they're... Um, they're saying what you're saying, but they're living it, right. right? Meaning you're comfortable with saying, okay, not all of these ideas that are unpalatable to me have to result in me completely throwing out everything. Right. I'm going to move to a different community, right? right? So I don't, I'm, not, I'm not taking all of it. I, I'm, I, I still can talk their language. I'm still comfortable with looking their part. I, whatever it is, right, that you can right. work with. Some these ideas result in an embodiment of the idea where they say, I'm out. Well, I mean, it's not so far from me. I have siblings who, ha- who have taken that, that route. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty familiar with it. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I think in many ways that's like, you, like you're saying, it's connected. When you see people moving away from something that in your mind up to that moment was rock solid and was like, there was no alternatives to it. It was like the only thing. And was, and you see people that are close to you making other choices. It forces you either to go deeper into denial, which is one of the responses that you spoke right. about, or to... for to, Blame them. Right. Or through a painful process to begin to question your own assumptions. Exactly. Right. And so I understand what you're saying about forcing the issue by keeping kids in school. But then the question becomes, how do you force schools to do that? Right. Um, I, I'm saying it's a mindset. I'm, I'm, that's yeah, what I'm saying. Yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. mindset. Right yeah. now, the approach is, if there's an issue, cut it out. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. I think I think the key is to get people... We're not dealing com- with cancers. We're dealing with body parts. 100%. Right. I think the key is, but I think I would, what I would add is, and I'm really just amplifying what you just said, is that it's one thing to think of, we're doing all of this to help the unhealthy parts of our community. What what I'm suggesting is that we all need to get more healthy. Exactly. Right. No, that's what right. I'm saying. No, and I think that has to be the approach because when you say that, like, we have to keep those kids in. No, I what I'm I saying is they're going to force us to I work I understand, out our but stuff. That, I don't think that's how people see it because I think people first need to recognize more. And I don't know what the what the mechanism is to to get this done. I, I haven't thought that far. Um, I, I I think it's happening on its own. Just 
by by human nature. But I think what as people begin to realize, wait a second, I don't. I don't I don't look like a person who's having serious crises or identity crises. I'm not looking to quote, you know, quote unquote shave my beard or, you know, slam the door on my way out. Like I'm kind of comfortable here. But wait, but am I really comfortable? Like am I really solid? Like can I really explain what it is that I am? Why it is that I am? What do I want my kids to be? Like what 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 where Lubavitchers? What does that mean? Like for example, but there's so many other ways of 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 asking that question, right? You you begin to realize that no, you you have something that you need to work on. You have something that you need to fix, Correct. right? Just because you don't have cancer doesn't mean you shouldn't go and lift some weights to get healthier, right? Like we all we like what was I reading the other day? People are developing heart disease in their teens, right? Like. Most people are developing some form of heart disease in their teens. They just don't pay the price for it until they're 60, right? But everyone's developing heart disease in their teens. Just would never guess that because they're just a bunch of teenagers running around like crazy. But it would be best if in their teens, they were already beginning to do certain kind of regimens that, that were stopping that, 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 that disease and making them even healthier so that when they're in their 60s, they don't have to pay the price. Right, I think that's what I think that would be the point that I'm making here is that we 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 don't have to wait for someone next to us or ourselves to really go all the way and and to kind of go entirely out of out of the picture to say wait a second we have to think about what this means for us right now. Right, this would have made sense to say 40 years ago but we're already there. Meaning right. we're already right. We don't have oh, we to wait. Done, right, I, we're already there. I agree. We should have done as a community. Right, as a community, we're already there. We should have done it forty years ago. Um, maybe it was done. Maybe it wasn't done enough. Or maybe what was done forty years ago is no longer right. good enough. It seems to me that it wasn't done much forty years ago. But at at some point, who cares? Who cares? Like right. we're gonna blame. We're gonna blame. No, what our, I'm, right. What I meant to say is not. Oh, you should have said it forty years ago. What I meant to say is that what you're forewarning against is already here. Yeah. Meaning you're saying don't get heart disease when you're 60. The heart disease is already big. Yeah, right? yeah. And, and, if you don't, and if you don't have it, someone else is going to have it. And if you don't have it now, you may have it in 10 years from now. And it may not be heart disease, maybe something else. And we all need to be healthier. And I would, I would add even more in a more like optimistic or, or positive tone. Let's say, let's say you're doing great. Let's say everything makes sense to you. Everything is solid by you. Let's say it's all good. Why can't it be better? The idea that like you can't see identity as a muscle that gets stronger, and you're you're that. And what I mean by identity is what you identify with and your relationship to that which to, to that which you believe and and that which you identify with. You can make it stronger and more healthy, and make it even stronger and make it even healthier. And it's only it's only upside. It's only upside. Let's say that we're in a great situation. And everything is everything is everything is running smooth. Let's even say that. Why shouldn't we make it even better for the people around us and for the and for for our children, right? We 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 cannot take we cannot just assume that it's that it's there and it's going to be there and it's going to just be there forever. These 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 are critical these are critical questions in a world where where people are exposed. To everything, to, to to so many things around them, they become the question of identity becomes more pressing. Right, and that's what I think. Right, that's what I think the difference is now. Not that it's 
Not that it's ever been okay not to live without an identity. It's always been important. It's always been something we need to wrestle with. But now, kind of things that we were able to get away with, just we can't get away with the same we thing. Can't get, we can't get away with it's, it anymore. For the expression, the road gets narrower. 100%. We can't get away with it anymore. It's interesting. I, I, just, had a, I just had a son a few weeks ago. We made a bris. And so, congratulations! Thank you. So I've been, I've been. I thought I, to say Mazel Tov, but I said I want to say it in English so you understand. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, f- I felt there was some kind of intention there. Um, yeah. So we, we, we did a bris, and I guess I should call it according to my opinion, according to my my thought process, I should call it circumcision, which does make it sound a little bit different, doesn't it? Um, so I've been reading up about it a little bit. And I mean, there's so there's so many there's so many things that that are that are involved in that quick practice that feels harmless at this point, right? Like it's you know it's pretty much safe today, which perhaps is a is an issue. But anyway, um, what's interesting is that the bris started off as a much smaller cut that was reversible. Back back in the times of of, of the Torah, it was just it was it was just a mila. It was just a cutting off the foreskin. But with time, at least according to some historians, this is what happened. But there are indications in, 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 in Chazal as well to this. With time, the Chum added, on top of the Mila, they added what's called Priya, where you take away some more of the skin so that the, the, the appearance of having a foreskin can never be reversed. When you just do a Mila, you can reverse the appearance to look like you're uncircumcised. When you do a priya, you can't. You've taken a, too much tissue away that you can never, no, lo- you can never again look like look like you're uncircumcised. And that change, it seems like it happened in the times of Gullus. When 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 Jewish people, it certainly came to a head. So I don't know exactly which, how much Torah history aligns with this, with this more secular history of this, but it's certainly true that it came to a head at the times of Hanukkah. When the Jews would do sports with the with the the Hellenistic Jews would do sports with the Greeks and a lot of the sports were done naked and they were ashamed of their bris, at those days they would try to reverse it and the Chacham made it stronger that they wouldn't be able to reverse it. So in other words, as their identities became as their identity came more under threat because of their closer involvement with other people, the question of the 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 need to identify as a bris, which bris is all about identity. It's an us. It's a. It's a. First, it's a sign that I identify with God, but it's also a sign that I identify with the other people who are who are circumcised. The bris became more extreme, as as a, as the as a challenge from around, as a challenge of identity became more acute. The the need for identity and the strong identity became more extreme and became more obvious. Became it needed to be more robust. Needed to be irreversible. Needed to be. Needed to be ironclad. Like, what does that tell us? I mean, I mean, it, it, first it just tells us a very simple idea that as as we as we live in a world more and more, um, and in many ways, thankfully, we live in a world where we can kind of roam and we 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 we're friends with people way out of our circle, not Jewish, Jewish and different ways of life, and a lot of them we consider friends. We we live in a very different time than our than our ancestors did. And we live, we live, we live freely in this world. If we are to hold on to an identity, that identity needs to be that much stronger. That's the only way it's going to survive. And so it goes back to the more positive framework. You know, I, we've been speaking for a while, so I don't know if I can reverse 
reverse anybody's impression at this point if they feel that I've been being negative. But I, I would hope that the takeaway would be it's not just about identity as a way of curing a cancer. Identity is a way of getting healthier. One of the upsides of getting healthier is that your chances for cancer are lower. And that, or at the very least, your body is in a better spot to deal with a challenge than, than if it isn't. But the goal is to be healthier. The goal is to be stronger. That's one of the beauties of challenges, right? When, when we, we can go to the gym because we have high cholesterol, but the benefit that we're going to have from the gym is much more than just reducing our cholesterol. 100%. Suddenly our mood's improving. Uh, other aspects of our life are improving. Yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the goal. I, I think that, uh, you know, Jewish people, we've, we've suffered for so long that we've tolerated it. We've become accustomed to it. We brag about it. Uh, we compare war stories in some, in, in some way. And I, I think we're way too okay with it. And we should definitely fight, fight the fight upstream. Meaning, why wait for extreme poverty to start really worrying about money? Why wait for extreme health issues to start worrying about 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 health? And same with the spiritual and 100%. and and all those uh, all those aspects of it. You know, when I often talk about um, pornography with with people, I say I'm not recommending a life. I'm not talking about pornography to recommend a life that's celibate or against pleasure, quite the opposite. Right. Quite, quite, I'm living my best sex life now. Like, right. My best sex is happening now. Right. And I was addicted to pornography and prostitutes and everything else. I'm recommending a life that's full Healthy. and robust right. and exciting. Like right. that's, that's the push, right? When a lot of these messages were messaged to me in yeshiva, this was messaged to me as like scuffia and like <laughs> some sort of ascetic life and everything else. I said, okay, I have pleasure on this side and um, pain on this side. What am I going to choose? But quite the opposite. What was masking itself as pleasure was short-term pleasure that resulted in a tremendous amount of pain right. and shame. And eventually when I struggled so much to stop it, a, a sense of, um, I don't know what the word, like a demoral, demoralization, complete demoralization. I'm looking myself in the mirror. I committed to not do this and I can't stop right so and and now being able to say no i don't have to live that life anymore and i'm it's not one of asceticism it's one like i said I, it may be too coarse to say but yeah that is that's what we're looking for we're looking for a beautiful robust happy fulfilled healthy healthy life yeah and that's some of what now affords us that i think before didn't is the fact that we don't have to work with our hands today to make money. We can work with our minds, and we don't have to all have to work for large corporations in order to get a job. We can start our own side hustle, hustle mm -hmm. our hours, and that allows us to suddenly it gives us the luxury to dive into some of these issues in a way that others aren't. And a lot of in a lot of the world, this is happening. I mean, people are wrestling with these deeper questions, and if we don't internally, then what's going to happen? People are going to run run to there why should someone be able to find more meaning in a yoga class than in a and when i say meaning it's kind of what you spoke to earlier i didn't like learning this as a kid today i do what's the difference is that some of the teachers who i've learned with and and listened to have shown me how what i'm learning relates to what i'm dealing with right and that connect was not made for me as a teenager so here i was going to tanya class and I'm hearing about Sadiq, Beni, Russia, Taivle, Ra. I'm like, what are you talking? What does that have to do with anything? Right. So even Gemara felt more relevant because here I can wrestle with a logical discussion 
mm-hmm. that at the end I can come to a conclusion and opinions, and it's at least fascinating and interesting. Where this, it just felt like dis- disconnected concepts. And today, fortunately, I've been um, shown how these ideas actually are meaningful in the way I make decisions and the way I the way I do things. So I think it's what you're talking about is saying, could we, could you talk about this in the way you speak every single day? Can you talk about Atmos without saying the word Atmos once? Yeah. 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 Dear God, you know, dear God. And like, like, yeah, I, I, I think it's just, you know, we live in such a special time and people that know me know that I'm, by nature more a pessimist but as i think about it more i i begin to say no no we live in a we live in a we, there are so many great things about the time that we live in the way you were defining it earlier that people are you know people have 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 a, a have opportunity to think about things that they didn't have time or opportunity to think about before so it's almost like you know when we get up when you're at the top of maslow's pyramid right what do you do when you're at the top of the pyramid do you buy a nine dollar donut in Lakewood, or do you wrestle with these? Things? Or do you look at the stars, right? Or do you look up at the stars? And I, I think we're, I think you know I think it's a very important important question to ask because one of the two one of the two is going to happen. Either 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 we slide into decadence and kind of just letting things letting things go on autopilot, which is a definition of decadence in many mm-hmm. ways. Or we say, look, holy moly, we have this massive opportunity. We're still here. We're, you know, we're still alive and kicking. We're still asking questions. That that's great. That that means that there's someone or there's a community that's able to really get even stronger and get even healthier and get even more robust. Um, and it's very important, I think, to see it from a more hopeful place. Like you were saying, I, I'm just trying to to reiterate what you were saying about like people see that you know once upon a time there weren't kids that had challenges, there weren't kids that left the derrick or whatever it is. I think there's a like you were like you're saying almost there's a positive thing here. It's forcing us to get real in a way that we never had the opportunity to before. We never had that opportunity to do that, and now we have that opportunity. Why are we looking at it as a bad thing? The only reason we're looking at a bad thing is because we're scared. And if we start talking to each other more and we start thinking and we start talking to ourselves more, we start thinking about this more and getting real with ourselves and getting real with each other, we'll realize that we don't really have what to be scared about. There's a lot of there's a lot of reason to be to to have hope and a lot of reason to have courage. There's a lot of things working in our favor. There's a lot of things that 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 are great. There are a lot of ideas that are special. There are a lot of traditions that n- n- nobody would give up for their for their right hand, right? You know what's funny? That's it. We've prayed for these times. <laughs> Literally for thousands of years. Yeah. We've prayed for these times right yeah. now. A lot of what's happening right now, we prayed for and now they're here. Yeah. And be, we're be careful, dealing, be right? careful what you pray for. <laughs> no, but like anything else, you're going to deal with the 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 challenges of that. Yeah. Right? But we prayed for this. We prayed for this. And and thank you. Thank you for having me on this thank podcast. You for, uh, thank you for what you do. Thank, thank you. you for, thank you for what you do. I look forward uh, to you publishing I, I, yours. I, I must I must disagree with what you said before that the only reason people listen to you is because of being a businessman. No, that's, that's, part, what, I that's, no, sure. that's what I said. That's what I said. What I said was in. no. I'm talking from the communal aspect, right? When I started talking, I was I I I think that I was able to 
talk long enough to be heard, right? Because of that aspect. For example, and I can, so, so, so let me just yeah, okay. I, I don't yeah. I don't think it's because of that. I think it's because you're you're a thoughtful person. You let you you've you've wrestled with these things on your own, and at the end of the day, people are mocking them as people recognize game game recognizes game like they say. People at the end of the day are thirsty for thoughtfulness. They're thirsty for someone's truth. Even if it's not in the form that they were expecting, they're thirsty for it. And I think, therefore, I, I say thank you for what you do. Appreciate that. And I wasn't saying that at all. I wasn't putting myself down with that. I think most people who know me don't even identify me as a business person. Okay. It's not, I'm, I'm saying that when I first started speaking, First, early on when I started talking about JCW and okay. those concepts, I, people gave me the opportunity to talk and listen to what I had to say for a little bit longer because it was the path that was allowed. I'll give a, another analogy, um, and a, another analogy, another example of that. So many people who grow up from, who end up becoming less religious, who find their way to Chabad house at some point, are not very well received. Right, they're not. So we're not here for you. We're here for the guys who are truly, right? Who are truly this right. way. Uh, Mayor Commonson shared shared this with me on uh, on on our podcast. Like you know, he's traveled the world and ended up in different places. Right, and sometimes at a Chabad house and saying, "Oh, Commonson, like, what are you doing here? Come on, go back. Yeah. You know, go back home." I've always been well received at Chabad houses. Right, that, that, no, no, that I, that's I, what I, I mean. I don't disagree that that phenomenon exists. Right. I, I, I've been, <laughs> I'm well aware. <laughs> I'm well aware. All, I, all I'm saying is, is that I, I, I think, I think, it may sound like a cynical take on people that the only reason, because there are, there, there is an element of people only listening to the guy who's successful, or only paying attention to the guy who, who like blows their mind in, in some form or another. I think, I think I've become, at least my personal experience has been more and more surprised in a good way, that people are. Yes, maybe that person gets more instant attention because that's just the way the world works on status and things like that. But I think, by and large, people are looking for thoughtful conversation. They're looking for someone who has ideas, someone who's brave enough to get up and put their name to an idea. And, you know, maybe he gets it wrong. Maybe she gets it wrong. But, right. like, I'm trying. You know, people, 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 I don't believe anymore. People are ready to let this slide. I, I wasn't saying that yeah, about anyway. any of my listeners. I think I have very thoughtful listeners. I was referring to more when I started talking um, 10 years ago, but Fair I enough. appreciate that. Uh, so then you cut, yeah. cut, cut out the compliment <laughs> then. <laughs> no, no, I appreciate it. I appreciate what you're, uh, Alrighty. What, what hey, you're saying. This has been fun, man. I yeah, thank it. you so much. And uh, like I said, I look forward to uh, your podcast being out there. It's not competition. I'll tell you something about podcasts. The more people listen, the more people listen, the more people listen to podcasts. Yeah, Once man. like one podcast can get someone hooked, and what do when they finish it? They look for what's another one that's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> certainly, certainly, I'm not worried about about any competition. I don't think anybody should, at the moment, be worried I'm about just me. Kidding. <laughs> just All right, man. Thank you so much. Bye.